Josh has already told you that I'm Sam Fowler from the Mount Washington congregation. I'm still very envious that Josh can run up here and jump up on that first step to the pulpit. I'm not even brave enough to get to the pulpit this morning, so I'm going to preach down here. I want to thank you uh, for your kind welcome to myself and Deborah here today to be back with you and to share our time of worship, our time of study together within God's Word. And I want to encourage you, uh, as Brother Josh has already done very well, please take out your Bibles and be following along as we're studying together, not only today, but for the other lessons we'll be going over together. If you weren't in our adult class this morning, we were studying uh, the topic of really a supreme Christ in a broken world. And we're looking at two worldviews. We're looking at a secular humanist view or a worldly or a godless view or the view of Christ as God and that how differently we see ourselves, we see our rights and our wrongs uh, from a fleshly side or a worldly side versus that, that Christ has come into the world and died for our sins and that we are his special creation and that we are the ultimate creation that he has made for us. That's going to bleed over into our lesson this morning because we're going to be talking about raising up God. I mean, the topic of manhood today. And there are a lot of lies, unfortunately, that are told uh, about manhood, about raising up men or just about being men today. And I'm going to share just a couple of facts here. Let me kind of get my notes out if you don't mind. Uri Hokeman, I probably have made a mess of his name there, but um, he is the UN head of reproduction, the Reproduction Council, a United Nations head of Reproduction Council. I want to, I want to read to you what he said. I can get this right here. So he said that the breakdown of the family was a triumph. That the high divorce rate, the high out of wedlock births triumph in our homes over human patriarchy. That means that the man is the head of the family. The male headship has equated to oppression. And then it's time for our world to be liberated from male headship. Linda Garter, who is a feminist and an activist, said the nuclear family must be destroyed. And people must find better ways of living together. Whatever its ultimate meaning, the breakup of families now is an objectively revolutionary process. Families have supported oppression by separating people into small, isolated units, unable to join together to fight for common interest. Leonardo Casco, who is part of the Catholic Pontifical Council for the Family, and this is not an endorsement of Catholicism, but just want you to hear what he had to say. He said, they definitely, and talking about this side of the coin concerning the family, they definitely have to deny that there is cri- that, that there, there is crisis in the family because they have created the crisis. There is a crisis. There's a crisis within what you and I know as family, but you and I know as manhood and womanhood and the identifying of us as men and women. And that, that brings us a greater burden, a greater challenge to raise up godly men. And we've got... But unfortunately, that we got such a strong voice here against this that it's just perpetrated uh, in our culture almost constantly. There's three lies that I want to share with you real quickly here that we hear all the time. Number one is that manhood is based on athletic ability. Manhood is based on athletic ability. If you're a good athlete, then you're a good man. If you have skills on the ball field, the ball court, that means that you're going to be 
uh, somebody who is, uh, you're going to be a real man. You're going to be somebody who is, who is worthy of being identified as a man because you have certain physical attributes and abilities and skills that you have, that you have cult, you've cultivated over time. And we got to face the facts that I don't know if you're aware of this, but there's been a, been a group of people that have gotten together and they want to decide what was the, one of the most, the strongest and most fierce uh, opponents right now are the things they're going to have to face uh, as far as idolatry in this country. And what they came up with is this, is the number one idol in this country is sports. Number one. You know, I love sports. I love watching sports. I love I love college football. Deborah and I are big college football fans. We're not so much round ball fans, so we've never been accepted into the Kentucky family because of that. Uh, y'all laugh it up. Come on. So... Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, we, we love sports. Our kids played sports. We had fun with sports. Don't, don't get me wrong about any of this. But brethren, we worship sports. And we worship sports figures. And that people will know more about sports than they will know about, about the Word of God. A lot more. We'll be more interested in sports. And more interested in just the personalities who make up sports. And you know what? They're, it's astounding to watch sports, whether you're looking at amateur sports or college sports or professional sports. And I have cable television. And you know what? I think I have five channels that are dedicated solely to sports. I may have more. I don't watch them, but I, I may have more. There's a lot of stuff out there about sports. I grew up in the days of Bo Jackson. Does anybody remember Bo Jackson? Okay, you're the people that I really like right now. Uh Bo Jackson played for Auburn University and later on he went and played for the Royals and played for the Raiders and, and really was an incredible athlete and he was about the same age as me. He and I athletically are about the same. Uh, <laughs> and I was a big Auburn fan growing up and enjoyed watching Bo and you know, you might remember the Nike campaign, Bo knows and Bo knew everything. Bo could do, Bo could do everything. And even today, people know who Bo... I don't know if you know anything personally about Bo Jackson. Bo Jackson now no longer watches football. He's no longer interested in it anymore. Now, he's a part of the Auburn University sports family, but he says it no longer interests him anymore. Bo moved on. But you know what? A lot of folks don't. And so we put so much emphasis on this athletic ability that even as we raise up our children, sometimes athletics takes the place of our spiritual devotion. And brother, I, I've been there and done that. I've been faced with that and had been faced with that challenge. And thankfully to the good Lord, we never made that trade. It's a bad trade of putting sports above God. And my children face that. But we're under a lot of pressure and it's a lie. But, well, you can't be a man unless you're going to be an athlete. Number two, you can't be a man unless you're sexually active. I know this is a tender topic here. I will apologize before I get started. But it's come to the point where, you know, you can't be accepted as somebody who's going to be man or manly unless you're somewhat of a lover, player, whatever, Lothario, depending on what generation you're from, you're going to be called those things. And that people put so much emphasis on what a man looks like, how a man dresses, how a man attracts women, or how a man can accost women. Uh, and that if he can do those things, then he's manly. He's a man. Because he has gone out there and, and conquered the world of the female. Thirdly, I'll learn to hold on to this thing here in a minute. Man is based on wealth. If a man is financially successful, then he's really a man. 
If he has risen within his field, if he is properly educated, if he makes X amount of dollars, if he has X amount of accumulations there, if he can make this provision for you, then that's going to make him into a man. So we've got these three lies say that, you know, for the thing you need to focus on is that your boys become athletes or that your boys are sexually active or that your boys are going to be financially successful in life. Do you feel any pressure on those three fronts? Anybody? Okay. I see it all the time. And you know, people like yourselves and people like our church family in Mount Washington and the other places that I get the privilege of visiting, we're all fighting that fight and decisions have been made long ago and that enormous wonderful works have been done to raise up your sons to be men and you've been raised up in a certain way. But brethren, this is not going to get easier. This is going to get harder. And we've got to be prepared for that. We've got to say, you know what? If I'm going to shine as a light in this world, if I'm going to raise up a man, and I'm here to tell you that this world needs real men. We need real men. We need real leaders. We need real family men. How many of y'all remember? I'm, I'm really going to throw you back there. How many of y'all remember Ward Cleaver from Leave it to Beaver? All right. That's still running, I'm sure, oh, out there somewhere in the rerun land. Ward Cleaver. And Ward Cleaver is about the most boring character you can imagine. You ever notice that? But you know what Ward Cleaver does every day? He gets up and he goes to work. He comes home to his family. He takes responsibility for what went on in his house while he was gone. He teaches his sons, who are a bunch of boneheads, about how they ought to live their lives. He's kind to his wife. He communicates with his neighbors. You know what? Ward's a man. That's what he was. He was acting like men should act. How many of y'all remember John Walton from the Waltons? Y'all remember the Waltons? Got a few hands up going out there. Remember John Walton? Remember John Boy Walton from the Waltons? See, I grew up in the Waltons' age, and I know I'm terribly dating myself right now. And, and for the young people back there who are probably rolling in the aisles at this moment, please just bear with me this morning. Uh, John Walton got up, went to work during the Depression. Made a living any way that he could provide for a big old family, didn't he? He loved his wife with a passion on that show. He loved his parents. They lived with him there in the house. He tried to raise up his children. He wasn't a particularly spiritual man. Uh, but you know what? He, he practiced good things in his home. When tragedy came in his life, he faced it with his head up and likewise his back ready to do the work that was necessary to over, overcome those things in his life. You know what John Walton was acting like? A man. There wasn't anything athletic or sexual or financially successful about this TV character. He's just a TV character. But brethren, that's what we need. And you know what? I dare say that's what you are. And that's what we're going to raise up. And we're going to look at how we get some instruction from God to help us do that very thing about manhood. Turning forward to Genesis, the second chapter this morning. This is a Bible study. Genesis chapter 2 is where we're going to find the great majority of our information this morning. The truth of Almighty God that will show us the way. In Genesis, the second chapter, once again, passage that you are wonderfully familiar with. You know what happens here within the passage. It says, The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man of every tree of the garden you shall freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day you shall surely die. I want to say to you this morning that manhood, if you want to teach about manhood, the first thing on that, that list there is work. Before there was sin, before there was a woman, before there was a, 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 a rife between man and God, there was work. 
in that garden. We know that God was placed man in that garden and he told him to tend and to keep it. To tend and to cultivate that garden. You know what? Work is a way to dignity. Work is a way there to provision and to plenty. And when we take work out of the equation of our lives, we've taken away our dignity, our provision, and our plenty within our lives. And you know what? We live in a society for a lot of folks who think, I shouldn't have to work. Or I shouldn't have to work hard. Now, I grew up on a farm. How many of you grew up on a farm? Anybody here grew up on a farm? I grew up on a farm. I've got a good friend, a member of the church back at Mount Washington named Ryan Royals. I love Ryan to death right now. He's at home taking care of his 92-year-old father who's infirm, and so he does that 24-7. Ryan, his family had lived out in the country, but they moved to the city of Louisville. And this is what Ryan tells me all the time. I wish I had lived out in the country and grew up on the farm. And I think in my mind, you never really have worked on a farm, have you? You know when you live on a farm, what do you do every day? You work. You get up and you go to work. And you're going to work hard. And you're going to work hard all, every day of the week, depending on what kind of farming that you're doing. That's a part of it. That's a part of our lives. But you know what, brother? That's the way it's always been and always shall be. Work is intended to be a part of our life. It is a God-given right, a God-given privilege, I should better say, for us to work. Turn to it in Pro- to Proverbs chapter 12. Proverbs chapter 12. Verse 27 says, The slothful man does not roast what he took in honey, but diligence is man's precious possession. Same passage, chapter 13, verse 4. 13, 4. The soul of a slugger desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. We've been commanded to work. And you know what? I'm here to tell you, my friends, lazy men, I'm going to skip down, lazy men are not godly men. We're husbandmen. We're keepers from the, from day one there. You know what? We teach our children to work. We've been taught to work. If a man should not work, he shall not eat. That's what Paul wrote to the Thessalonians there. A lazy man is not a godly man. He's someone who brings about destruction, who brings about poverty. He's going to bring about destruction not only of his own personal life, but of his family life, his church life, and his national life. To raise up a man, you've got to raise up a worker. What do we need in the church today? What do we need in the church today? We need workers. We sing songs about having workers in the kingdom. We need people who are going to, to work. You know what? Sometimes I think the church becomes a spectator sport. We, we, we assemble. We come here. We watch what other people do. We go home and we're good. Brethren, what we need to do is say, you know what? As a man and as a woman, as a man and woman of God, I am committed to working within the kingdom of the Lord. That means doing what you can do and what I can do because it's probably all going to be different. But we have got to say, you know what? Lazy men and lazy women, especially lazy men, do not make for good workers. They destroy things and they certainly destroy churches. And somebody said, what's wrong with the church today? I'm going to tell you, for the most part, what's wrong with the church today is that people just don't do the work. That's it. And you say, well, I do a lot. I don't know what you do or you don't do. You know, this building's filled up here. Something happened. Some work had to happen here. and Probably lots of work. In Mount Washington, we just got through building a new facility there. And I told them, I said, we're standing on the shoulders of the work that was done 40 years ago. And that's the same thing that's probably true with the history of this congregation right here. But brethren, if we don't work, the body won't grow. Our families won't grow. Our marriages won't grow. 
Now, I'm going to talk to the young ladies here. All you young ladies, if you're the marrying in age, if you're a young person considering marriage, I'm going to talk to you like your dad or like your grandpa or like your brother. Are you ready? Do not date or marry a man who will not work. Did you hear me? Do not date or marry a man who will not work. If you do, and you end up marrying that person, you have just counted yourself into a life of misery. That's what you did. And you may be thinking, well, I just love him. I love We're in love. We're going to get married. And you know what? I'll change him. I, you know, I'll whip him into shape. That's what I'm going to do when we get married. He'll, he'll, you know, I tell you what, you might do some whipping, but in the shape, I doubt it. Don't marry somebody who doesn't work, who is lazy, who is slothful. Marry somebody who knows how to work. And you know how? You know how to work? Somebody taught you. Somebody taught you how to do that. Brethren, you know what we ought to be good at? We ought to be teaching each other how to, good at teaching each other how to work. How to work. Be good workers. To tend and to cultivate the garden just like Adam did of old. All right. There we go. Secondly, this morning, manhood is about keeping and respecting the law of God. Uh, turning with John the 14th chapter, verse 15, John 14, 15, John 14, 15. This is Jesus. We're getting ready for uh, the final, his final moments before the cross. We know he's going to the cross here. He's preparing his disciples in John 14, 15. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments in John 14, 15. Love for God is equated to keeping God's commandments. A real man keeps the law of God. A real man works and a real man keeps the law of God. Number, the real man, only he, he knows it. If you turn back, if you go to Genesis second chapter, you know what happens there. We just got through reading that just a few moments ago. We know that in the very beginning when he told him to work, the second thing that he did was this. He said what? He said that you, he said, I put you in the garden and he said, and the Lord commanded the man of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat it you shall surely die. Brethren, there has always been law. There's always been the law of God. And a real man knows the law, respects the law, and keeps the law of God. We teach our boys how to work. We teach our boys how to know Respect and obey God. I, there's some things about the Amish community that I that I like. I'm not in, not in any way in full agreement with their practices or their doctrines. But if you're Amish, you you go to school. If you're a boy, you go to school to the eighth grade, and that's it. After that, you go to work with Dad every day. And the training then from their own is left up to dad to train their sons. Now the girls end up going through all the way through school. But those men are given that right of educating their sons to grow up as men. Yeah, I told, told my daughter-in-law the other day, I said, I'd like to go back in time. I'd like to have some of those moments back, those days back with my, with my children. That are, that are long gone. I see, I see that with my grandchildren today, and I thought, I'd just like to go back and have a day of that one more time with my children. 
And when you're in the middle of it, like some of you are right now, you really don't know how precious that it is and how influential that you are right now to your children, to your sons, and to your daughters. But let me tell you, what you say and what you do and what you teach while they walk with you and talk with you will affect them for the rest of their lives. Teach them well. Teach them well. Teach them there to respect the law of God. Real men know the word. Turn if you would to Psalms 119, please. Psalms 119. My soul clings to the dust. Revive, revive me according to your word. Verse 25. I have declared my ways and you have answered me. Teach me your statutes. Teach me your, make me, make me understand the way of your precepts. So shall I meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts from heaviness. Strengthen me according to your word. Remove from me the way of lying and grant me your law graciously. I have chosen the way of truth. Your judgments I have laid before me. I cling to your testimonies. O Lord, do not put me to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments, for you shall enlarge my heart. What an incredible passage they're talking about, the devotion to the Word of God. And David showing that real men not only know the Word of God, they obey the Word of God. In Joshua 1, 7, we know that it was called upon Joshua to obey the commandments of the Lord there. And we know when he gets to the end of his journey of bringing God's people into the, to the, to the brink of the promised land and training up these peoples here, he tells them that for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. His dedication there was not to fall away from his faith, but to continue on in obedience to the Word of God. And that Joshua set up an entire generation. There was one generation faithful. And it was the generation that was taught underneath Joshua. That's it. But they were taught and they obeyed and they respected the Word of God. Girls, daughters, women, I tell you once again here, real men. The God's Word makes men good and real men are going to know the Word, obey the Word, respect the Word. The challenge is making that choice. Because there's going to be times in our lives where we may be attracted to people that are not real men. And that are not devoted to God. My mom drove something into our heads when we were growing up, according to Deuteronomy, that the father telling his son about the laws of God, he said this, he said, Deuteronomy chapter 6, he said, it is for our good always. You know, when you're young, it's hard to listen to old people. It's hard to buy into what they've got to say. But I'm here to tell you that God never tells you anything. He never told us anything that wasn't for our good always. Date men and marry men and raise men that love, honor, and respect the Word of God. Thirdly this morning and finally... Man is absolutely committed, a real man is absolutely committed to his family. It's God's plan. What's good? Proverb writer tells us if you find a wife, you found a good thing. 
We know that God made this. The man should not be alone. I, you know, you think about, if you go back to Genesis chapter 2, you think, look at God created man, placed him into the garden. He was by himself. He named all the animals. And you know what it says? It's not good that man should be alone. That's what God says there. But you put it in Kentucky vernacular or, or Alabama vernacular, he probably looked around and said, you know what, that boy's not going to make it by himself. And that is so true. It wasn't good for man to be alone. So what did God do? He, he, he pulled out that rib. We're going to talk about that this evening. And you know what the women Pulled out that rib there and he made a woman and we know what, what happened from there on out. But you know what? Man was no longer alone. If you find a wife, you found a good thing. It is God's plan to have marriage and family. That is the way that it's always been and shall always be. And there's going to be lots of folks that are going to knock this and try to tear this down. But you know what, brethren? We stand for these things. We're going to continue to stand. We know the effects of having godly families and good families and good men. We know the effect in our lives and the blessings that they are. And we keep our eyes wide open and we teach diligently day and night. And we're going to say these things over and over again. That men are going to be workers for the God. They're going to respect God. And they're going to put their, their marriages and their families, they're going to put those things first in their lives. And they're going to be willing to sacrifice for them in the same way that Jesus sacrificed for us in the same way that he loved us in the same way he was willing to do anything to raise us up to be followers and to be happy or to be joyful within him you know what men honor their father and their mother men do these kind of things Genesis 2 24 we know that a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife and they too shall become one flesh uh, Matthew 19 talks about that very thing it says what God has joined together let not man put asunder but brethren there is only one reason for a man to leave father and mother, and that is to cleave to another. And I will tell you this very simply here this morning, is the fact that you need to look for a man. If you're considering that you look for a man, we raise up men who honor father and mother. My, I, every year I get to, not every year, but most every year, I get to go down and visit with my parents. My, my dad will be 80 years old uh, this fall. Mom's 76, will be 77. And it's such a privilege for me to go down there. And while I'm there, I, uh, we, we get involved in some projects. My, my parents still live on the farm. And I go down there and we, we work on things together. Now I can tell you, when I was a younger man, I couldn't wait to stop working on the farm. Every Saturday we cut wood, we cut firewood. And, I was the wood splitter. We didn't have a hydraulic wood splitter. Sam Powell was the wood splitter. And I have split enough wood, I guarantee you, to cover this entire parking lot many times. And we did that every Saturday because my dad and his, his friend sold firewood. And I said this when I graduated high school. I said, I'm never going to split another stick of wood. Now, that was untrue because it happened later on. You know how that goes. But working on the farm and working with my dad wouldn't really do something I was all that keen about when I was a younger man. But you know, I'm not a younger man anymore. I, hopefully I've come to my senses and recognized that your duty in life is to honor your father and your mother. And if my dad says he wants me to help him do this, I'm going to be there. If it meant me driving right now to go down there, I'm going to do that because my dad is worthy of that honor. And my mother is worthy of whatever I can give to her because they have brought me into this world and they have raised me up and they have taught me the ways of the Lord and they are worthy of my love and care and honor and appreciation. And brethren, we need to teach that to our children and teach that to our boys to honor their father and mother. And ladies, if you're looking for somebody to marry, don't you dare marry a man who does not honor father and mother because if he don't honor them, he won't honor you.
See how he treats his parents. Then make your decision. Real men teach the, their children the value of marriage and a godly family. Our children see us in our marriages. Our boys see us in our marriages. And our boys learn how to be married. Boys, I believe more than girls, are mimickers. And they see how their dad treats their mom. Loves, respects, cares for, provides for, listens to. And we need to teach our sons by them watching us and how we treat our spouses. Turning the wood to uh, Psalms 127. Psalms 127. We're about to be done this morning. I appreciate your kind attention so much. Psalms 127. I love this passage. It said, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. For so he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is his reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with their enemies in the gates. Verse 1 of chapter 128 says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord and walks in his ways. When my sons were younger, uh, I, I like to fiddle with old cars, and I have, have a 57 Chevrolet. It was my grandfather's car, and I worked worked on it and restored it in, in the driveway. And my son, Sean, who's preaching this morning in Mount Washington this morning, uh, he would come out while I'd be underneath the car, and he would, he would straddle me and sit on my stomach while I'm working underneath the car. We've got pictures of that. Because he, he just wanted to be with me. And I've got a grandson now, Joel, and he, he turns five this week. Uh, and... I've noticed, and right now, Nathan, my son, and daughter-in-law, and their family, and Joel and Cora are living with us because they're building a house. Uh, Joel wants to be wherever Poppy is at, and he wants to do whatever Poppy is doing. And he's listening to me and watching me. And you know, the other day he said, "I know you're going to go back after that second plate." We were sitting at dinner table. <laughs> I thought, boy, you've been watching way too close, had you? Whatever Poppy's working on, Joel wants to work on. And back when my boys were that age, whatever I was working on, they wanted to work on. Those are precious moments, precious times, times of influence that we can teach our sons. And I'm still teaching my sons. They're grown men now. My Sean now is six foot five, weighs about three hundred pounds. It would be a different picture of him straddling me today while I was underneath the car. <laughs> we might recreate that photo. You might see it on Facebook. But I'm still teaching my sons to be men. Nathan worked three jobs to take care of him and Jocelyn when they first got married. 
He'd literally go days without going to bed because that's what he had to do. He knew how to work. He knew how to work hard. My sons know how to obey the Word of God. One of the highlights of my son's sports career, I'm going to tell you this story as we close the lesson. When he was playing football, I believe it was his sophomore year, he was injured. And we were playing an away game, and one of the boys on his team got hurt, and they thought he was hurt really bad. And he was laying out on the field, and the football chaplain, they had a man that traveled with them that was their, their, their spiritual leader. And he wasn't there that day. And they looked around. I was sitting in the crowd. I was sitting down close to the ground, and they, they knew who I was and what I do. They looked, the coaches looked right at me. I looked right back at them. Then they looked to my son, Sean. And they called for Sean. They said, Sean. And they assembled the team together. You lead us in prayer concerning your teammates. There's nothing in my life that happened to my son as far as being an athlete that was greater than that moment. Because they knew what kind of boy he was. He already was a man. Nathan is married, got two children. And he told me when he got married, he said, you know, it's hard to find a good girl. But he did. He knew what to look for. And I'm so thankful that he did. Let us be committed. Love, devotion to raising up our sons as godly workers, as those who are obedient to the will of God, and those who are totally committed to their family, and to their spouses. We'll go ahead and take out your song books and turn to the song of encouragement. One time there was a grandfather that uh, grandson got in trouble. He was a little guy and he, the grandson got, they were in the house, and I don't think, I don't, I'm not sure it was the grandfather's fault. It might have been the grandfather's fault. He got, the boy got into trouble, and, and mama put the grandson into timeout. Who, who knows what timeout is here? Yeah, you know what timeout. Put grandson in timeout, and he, boy, he was not happy. He wasn't happy to be in timeout. And the grandfather looked at the mother and said, you know, can't we get him out of there? And she says, no. So he looks back at the situation, looks at her, and instead of getting the boy out, he got in there with the boy. You know, a long time ago, this old world was a sad place. We understand that we're in a state of being against God. And in that state of being against God, being a sinner, God just couldn't say, you know what, I'm going to invite those sinners out of that with no cost. Instead, he said, I'm going to get in there with them. So his son came into this world. 
And he got down here with us. He knows what it's like to be here and be a human. And to go through our temptations. Watch our failures. See our plight in our state. And to make it possible for us to be one with God again. Maybe this morning you need to be one with God. Maybe you need to be have your sins removed. To be redeemed. You can do so by hearing the gospel message. That Jesus Christ has come into this world and died for us. And been raised and ascended to the right hand of God. To believe with all of your heart, as we see in Acts of the 8th chapter, 36 through 38, to repent of your sins, that means change. You're going to have to change to be right with the Lord. As we see in Luke chapter 13, or Acts chapter 2, or so many other passages, you're going to have to confess your lips of God to speak some words that you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. But with the heart one believes and the right, with the mouth confession is made in salvation, Romans 10, 9 and 10. And you're going to have to be buried. You're going to have to die. You're going to have to die to yourself and to this world and to sin. You've got to be buried with him and you're going to have to be raised with him in a watery grave and your sins will be washed away. That is the comfort, the consolation, and the power, the commandment, the word of God. And then you've got to walk with him as his child. If you need to respond, I want you to do so while we stand and while we sing.